Welcome back into Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Good to have you in here live on a Thursday edition of the show. How Gill's going to join us coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll get you set for the Predators in the Avalanche tonight. The big finish at 9.45. But right now we welcome in author Andrew Marinus to the program, author of Games of Deception. Andrew, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Good to be on with you guys this morning. Uh, Andrew, uh, obviously your your first book, Strong Inside, about Perry Wallace breaking a color barrier in the SEC for basketball at Vanderbilt, uh, a huge success. So how did you, you know, you obviously live in Nashville. You're a Nashvillian. Perry Wallace is very close to this community, and Vanderbilt University was something that's, that you're close to. So that all that all makes sense, Andrew, That going down that path and telling that story, which you did so brilliantly. Um, how did you go from that to Nazi Germany and the Olympics and, and basketball? Right. Well, it actually has to do with Strong Inside. So I had a chance to go out to Lawrence, Kansas, um, to speak at the University of Kansas about Perry Wallace and that book. And while I was there, uh, you know, being a big college basketball fan, I'd never been to Allen Fieldhouse before. So I made a point of stopping by while I was in town. And uh, they have a terrific uh, museum, sort of a Hall of Fame on the history of Kansas basketball. And next to it, they have another building that holds the original rules of basketball. James Naismith later became the athletic director at Kansas after inventing the game. And so under glass, kind of like you'd see the Constitution, you know, if you're in D.C. at the archives, they have the um, original rules of basketball. And right next to it was a picture of Naismith with a Japanese basketball player in the 1930s. And a guy turned to me and said, did you know the inventor of basketball got to see his invention make its Olympic debut? And I said, no, I had no idea which Olympics was that. And when he said it was the 1936 Olympics in Nazi Germany, immediately I felt like uh, this would be an interesting story to tell. I don't think even most, you know, hardcore sports fans realize that that's where uh, basketball really got its international uh, coming out party was at the Nazi Olympics. So obviously today, you know, it's it's a different time, but there are still times where sports and race cross over, and we've seen many different things from, you know, the Rooney rule in sports to obviously the way things have played out in society with Kaepernick and always, you know, there's so many different times where the these two hotbed worlds of sports and race intersect. Is there anything that you learned when putting this together that maybe you didn't know before? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And one of the points I make in the book is that this idea of, of people saying sports and politics should be kept separate, well, they really never have been separate, you know, and there's no greater example of that than the Olympics, which are incredibly political and always have been. Um, and so during these 1936 Olympics, the, the Nazis used the fact that they were hosting the world for this sporting event as an incredible propaganda uh, opportunity, and they tried to fool people into believing that everything was just fine in Nazi Germany by putting on a good athletic contest that people enjoyed when really they were hiding the terrible things that were happening behind the scenes. Uh, Even from the U.S. perspective, no African-American players were allowed to try out for the Olympic basketball team. We think of those Olympics as a chance for Jesse Owens to shine in front of Hitler, but even our own basketball team, um, you know, was a product of American racism. So, yeah, that's a big part of this book, just like it was with Strong Inside. Now, do you believe that that was sort of the height of race and sports together? Or do you believe, you know, in writing this book, there is another um, episode coming where sports and race and we we sort of we sort of see it now. But I don't think, you know, when you're writing that book, 
that was sort of the height of it because it, it involved not just the U.S., but other countries. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. That was kind of the crucible. I mean, the idea of athletes from all over the world coming to uh, this fascist, uh, racist state of, of Nazi Germany to compete in a competition that's supposed to be all about sportsmanship and fair play. You know, and that's why there was a big boycott effort in the United States, people saying, how could we possibly – uh, competing in, a, in a, a contest that's supposed to be about, you know, doing things the right way in sportsmanship in Nazi Germany. So there were 100,000 people that marched through the streets of New York. Um, there was uh, a poll in 1934 that showed that 43% of the American public thought we should boycott those Olympics. Uh, and that was a big surprise to me. I didn't realize that the boycott effort was was that strong. But you had Avery Brundage, who was the head of the American Olympic Committee at the time, who was an incredible uh, anti-Semite. I went to his archives at the University of Illinois, and it was just uh, fooling. Uh, the file cabinets were just boiling over with these anti-Semitic uh, newsletters and magazines that he received at the time. He'd get letters from people saying, Heil Hitler, Heil Brundage, and he would write back complimentary letters to those people. And so he was trying to portray boycott supporters as un-American um, at the same time that he was uh, sort of conspiring with Nazis. To, he was asking them to send positive coverage of Nazi Germany to American newspapers to try to offset the negative publicity in the United States. So it was a really, really interesting time when it came to um, race and politics and sports. And not just, um, oftentimes in the U.S. right now, we think of race and sports being, you know, um, black and white issues and this, but this also involved anti-Semitism at the time. Yeah, Andrew, it's it's fascinating how much we've sort of glossed over historically what what our attitudes were towards Germany before World War Two, and then after during putting Germany back together, it's very interesting how we've sort of changed uh, how oh, yeah. how how America treated those two situations. Um, is there anything you learned dur- during this process that you think applies, or we all can learn about where we where we currently sit in this country well, with sports and race? Yeah, one of the most interesting um, interviews that I had for the book, and there were very few of them because most people who were involved in the '36 Olympics are long past dead. But there was one guy named um, Dr. Al Miller, who at the time of the 36 Olympics was a 13-year-old kid, Jewish kid, living in Berlin, who was in school with kids who were becoming members of the Hitler Youth, who was listening to Hitler on the radio every night. He's still alive. He lives in Cincinnati today. He attended the Olympics as a 13-year-old. He saw Jesse Owens run. Um, And today he visits with school kids in Cincinnati twice a month, talking about the Holocaust, talking about the lessons learned about fascism. And I asked him, you know, what, what lessons do you try to convey? How do we prevent this from ever happening again? What do you say to the students? And he said what he tells them is that they already know the answer, and they've already recited it typically that morning at school without thinking about it with their hands over their hearts when they recite the Pledge of Allegiance. And he said the most important thing to, for all of us to keep in mind are the last five words of that pledge liberty and justice for all, with an emphasis on for all. And if you're working towards that, then you're on the right track. If you're not, then you see what happens. Andrew, just a general question about media and journalism, specifically the writing and the written format. 
Uh, you're obviously an author. When I got out of college, my first job was working at a sports, uh, you know, a sports department for a newspaper. Newspapers are dying. We've li- we live in this world nowadays where everybody wants slideshows. They have no attention span, which is why the athletic is thriving because there's actually still really good journalists out there, and there's still a market for it. But did you learn anything as far as in your career, just the value of what sports books can do, especially for the younger generation? Because the younger generation, all they care about is selfies and social media, the iPhone, YouTube. Uh, but can can sports books reach maybe the the people that are considered reluctant readers? That's a great question, and that's what I hope my writing is all about. Um, I want to try to write the types of books that I would have loved to have read as a kid. And I think sports can be a really good hook to get a kid interested in reading who thinks that they're not a reader. You know, maybe they're not interested in fiction, and there's a lot of emphasis on fiction um, for young readers. Maybe they're not interested in sort of fantasy worlds and things like that. I was interested in sports as a kid, and there's, I know there's a lot of kids like that. And so the greatest pleasure for me is when I go into a school and some kid who's on the football team or on the basketball team comes up and said, I didn't think I liked reading or I don't like to read books, but I really liked your book. You know, and then... Um, I hope that that doesn't stop there, that they realize that, yes, reading is something that, you know, can be a part of them and that becomes a lifelong habit of reading. And so um, I've been really impressed when I visit schools with how open kids are to learning about new books and also stories about the types of things we've been talking about in this interview, about racism, about issues of of justice in all sorts of ways. Um, Kids are much further along in those regards than a lot of adults are right now. It's, it's inspiring to see. New York Times best-selling author Andrew Marinus. I'm sure that never gets old. Games of Deception <laughs> is the book, the true story of the first U.S. Olympic basketball team at the 1936 Olympics in Hitler's Germany. Your thoughts on Jerry Stackhouse and his debut last night? Hey, I'm excited about it, man. It's been a long time as a Vandy basketball fan uh, waiting between victories. So I'll, I'll take it no matter who it's against, man. Was Mitch Light in attendance, and can you describe his behavior at the game? <laughs> well, he was in attendance. He's salivating uh, as usual. <laughs> Andrew, good stuff. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. You got it. Andrew Marin is joining us. That Vandy is a, basketball fan. That is a New York Times bestselling author describing my boss, Mitch Light, managing editor at Athlon Sports, as salivating. At, during a basketball game last night. I just would like to point that out, just in case he's listening. Yeah, I like um, f- when you're reading, um, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, uh, but more importantly, uh, nonfiction books. Um, because it gives you, it, if if you're an author, if you work the sort um, um, of being an author, you do your, your history, you do your research. And you go to places extensively. Uh, exactly, I had an opportunity to see one of my favorite authors last night at TPAC, uh, Tanishi Coates, and he talked about him going to to plantations and talking with people to write his book, uh, some of his books that he has out. And you know, true authors do that, and it seems like uh, Andrew. That's those are sort of the things that he does is do the extensive research, go visit certain places. And I think it's now we're starting to see, whereas when we were growing up, we didn't get the true story of things. We didn't get the full picture of things. I think now authors, when they write nonfiction books, they give you, they try their best to give you the full depiction of what happened. They don't want to hold anything out. I think years back, they held things out on purpose because they only wanted you to know so much. 
but with social media and the internet, it's like, why try to hide yep. it? I might as well put it in my book and let people well, and figure best, it out themselves. The best TV shows are the ones that show both sides of humanity, right? Exactly. Like, like good people are bad and bad people are good, and, and we're all in the gray area together. And, like, the reality is what's, what mm-hmm. – again, I think people are interested in other people. Exactly. Like, I, I just think – and this is a fascinating story about, you know, 1936 Germany, pre-Holocaust, pre-World War II, and we're sending a, a, a basketball team to play a sport. It's pretty fascinating stuff, man. Stick to sports, or excuse me, stick to sports. Big finish coming up at 945 this morning. Hal Gill will join us at the bottom of the hour. It is Morning Drive back after this on ESPN 1025 The Game. 918, welcome back into Morning Drive, ESPN 1025 The Game. Hal Gill at the bottom of the hour. The big finish at 945. Good day in sports today. The Preds and the Avalanche. You've got Thursday night football tonight. The Chargers and the Raiders. A little college action. Temple and USF. Ooh, that's, the, that's your alma mater there, man. All they do is cover. By, by the way, South Florida. Hey, hey, real, real quick thought here. I don't mm-hmm. care who, I don't know, I don't know who cares about this. I think this is the best the American Athletic Conference has ever been. Ever. They've got five or six teams in the top 40 of the S&P. Temple's on the outside of that, but they've beaten, what, they've, they've won some good games. They beat, what, Memphis and Georgia Tech. Um, the the AAC is pretty good this year. They beat Maryland, who was ranked at the time. Yeah, that's right, Maryland. They, they are not, like, it's again, none of these teams deserve to be in the playoff conversation, so don't bring that crap to my Twitter account. But th- this is as good we, as we've seen, and you know who sucks? Charlie Strong in <laughs> South Florida. They are terrible. Do you, do you think we'll ever get to the point? Speaking of college football, because this year we've got the you know the playoff and it feels juicier than ever. A lot of debate. If we ever get to the the, the point where we get to eight teams and, and one of these group of five teams makes it, do you think there's any of them? And I guess maybe a few years ago, Central Florida would be probably the best case where they could actually win a game in the playoff. I, I think the best group of five team I've ever seen is the Andy Dalton, Tank Carter TCU team. Um. That that team, I think, was the best group of five team ever. It was the most talented group of five team ever. And they beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl and finished 13-0. I think that's the best G5 team uh, ever. Could that team beat Alabama in a playoff game or Clemson in a playoff game or Ohio State in a playoff game? I find it really hard to think that that would ever happen. If it expands to eight, I think they're going to give a spot to the group of five. I don't know why you would do that without some parameters saying like, hey, you have to have at least won this many Power Five teams. You have to have beaten this many non-conference teams, or you have to be ranked in the top ten. Like, I don't think you can just automatically give a G five team a spot in an eighteen playoff where they're going to be playing against teams that they're vastly overmatched against almost every time they play. Um, yeah, yeah. and just aren't deserving um, of being there. But I mean, if you if you go to eight teams, which I don't think you should because to me you're diluting and diluting the product then. Pre- preach. Um, so why go to eight? Six, yeah, but eight, no, I, I don't want to go to eight. Um, but it's all about money. And if they can make more money with eight teams, then so be it. Um, but is there a power, you know, is there a, a group of, group of five team that could compete um, with, you know, maybe so. I mean, it all depends on who they're playing. But obviously – if it's eight teams, they would be the eighth seed going against the number one seed. So, Probably, you know that that would be a mismatch. Um, I mean, in a one game situation, could yeah, you, you never could know. You but do the the Boise State Statue thinking, of Liberty thing and beat Oklahoma? Maybe. I was thinking maybe because the Miami of Ohio, they're group of five, right? Yes. 
What about the Miami of Ohio team with no with Randy Moss and No, that's Marshall. Marshall. That was Randy Moss and Chad Pennington. That team. I I still don't think I mean Moss is obviously an exceptional talent. You know, Leftwich played on a Marshall team, a Mm -hmm. different Marshall team. Uh, that was a really good team that I think won two national titles on the lower level before mm-hmm. becoming coming up a level, and I think they lost some games. Yeah, when they came up a level, I have to double check on that. Um, again, I just think that, that TCU team was so loaded. There's a couple Boise State teams that probably mm-hmm. feel like they've got a case for this. There was a Utah team in in with Alex Smith in '04, mm-hmm. uh, and the Brian Johnson led Utah team that beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl was a group of five team at the time. You know, it'd that, be there's, hard. There's for a reason these, group these of five teams yeah, to win. There's yeah. a reason these teams got elevated to the Power Five. Because they were already out, they were outgrowing the group of five, mm-hmm. and financially, academically, on the field, everything led to TCU joining the Big Twelve and Utah joining the Pac twelve. Here's my thing, though: I'm looking at the rank. You look, pull up the playoff rankings, and Cincinnati's a pretty good football team. Uh-huh. They're probably the best group of five team this year in an AAC that's probably the best it's ever been. Right? Mm-hmm. We got Memphis at eight and one ranked, Boise State ranked, Navy's ranked in the AAC, SMU in the AAC ranked, and Cincinnati lost forty eight to nothing to Ohio State this year. They're probably the best G5 team out there. Mm-hmm. And they weren't even competitive no. against one of the best teams in America. I'm looking at these teams that are ranked, and I'm going, let's pull up some unranked teams. Texas. Texas A&M. Washington. The, these teams would all, Virginia, these teams would all beat these group of five teams. Like, on a week-in, week-out basis, if they had to play ACC, Big Ten, SEC schedules. Cincinnati's not surviving. Memphis is not surviving an SEC West schedule. No. Give me a break on that. It's not a knock on what they've accomplished at Memphis. It's an it's a knock on just reality. Like you you are competing with a different budget for different players against a different level of schedule. It's it's not even the same game. Well, and going through that schedule, just imagine how you know the the rigors of that conference and that schedule when injuries start to pile up for these, some of these group of five teams. Hundred percent. I mean, when we had Rick Stock still mm-hmm. on way back in September before they went to Ann Arbor to take on Michigan, he said, I mean. It's, we're, we're glad to get them now because if we played them later in the season, we wouldn't have the bodies to compete. Yeah, you're right. Right now, if say if they had a, 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 a playoff of eight, you have LSU, you have Ohio State, LSU, Alabama. If it, if, it's, if it ended right now and it was eight teams, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Penn State, Clemson, Georgia, Oregon, and Utah. That would be, to me, that's a good that's awesome. group that's of awesome. eight teams. Yeah. yeah. That's put, a good group A. Put team. Oklahoma in there and take one of the Pac-12 teams out or whatever, mm. you know, whatever. But yeah, and who's going is Memphis going to go beat those teams? The team that beat no. Tulsa by one point. No, Memphis beat Tulsa on a last-second field goal. They needed two tries to beat Tulsa. They beat Ole Miss by five. Ole Miss is not a good football. Not a good power five teams. Team. Maybe in a one-off, you can beat Utah. You could probably beat Oregon, but I don't think in a one-off you're beating. You probably could beat Penn State, but I don't think you're beating Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, and Ohio State in a one-off. Those, you know, one of those other yeah. teams. It, it's and it's about to. You said it best. Do you want to dilute the playoff? Yeah. And again, I don't want three lost teams anywhere near my playoff. That's why I Just love. Don't the, don't come near my playoff. That's why I love crowd. the NFL. How they do their their whole playoff thing. Because everybody doesn't get in. Basketball seems like everybody gets in. 50%. Exactly. And I love how baseball do it. Only a select few get in. Everybody don't get in. When you start adding other teams, it's like you're diluting a product. It's like, why? And if you think about it, look at the percentages, right? The NFL is what, 12 teams out of 32 that Mm -hmm. get in? So you're talking about about a third, a Mm -hmm. a little more than a third. You look at basketball and it's half. Exactly. You look at the hockey and it's 
more than half. Mm -hmm. It's actually right at half, but a little bit above. In baseball, you've got, what, 30 teams? And how many teams make it total? Technically, five, 12. Five, 10? Well, yeah, if you, yeah. But even then, you're only playing for two of those teams, only play for a game. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so you've basically got eight teams out of 30 that make it. That's a pretty low percentage. Think about the Power Five with 65 teams, mm -hmm. and you got four making it. Think about the percentage, mm -hmm. right? You're talking about less than 10% of the, of the sport makes it to the playoff. Excellence over access. Mm -hmm. I want the best, not the most, you know, like Barry Alvarez telling us that, that well, I, the Big Ten didn't get in. Everybody deserves a chance to participate. No, mm -hmm. no, they don't. I want the best want four or six hurt. teams. I don't want the best eight yes. teams because then you can start getting into two loss and possibly even three loss teams. I don't want no. Give me the four best teams, yeah. really. That's all I want. And, and the other thing, and I heard Stillman and, and Floyd talking about this yesterday, and I don't mean to pick on them. They're just not as deep into the weeds on the college football playoff committee as, as maybe other people are. That, that committee is there's, – there's nobody on that committee that's putting a team in because it's going to make ESPN money. There's nobody on that on that committee that's – like that, you may disagree with what their opinion is mm -hmm. on that committee in that committee room, but they are looking at every piece of data. They're watching every game film. They're watching every team, and they're making a judgment. It's just like the basketball committee. Mm -hmm. You can disagree with their final results, but it, there's integrity there. There, there. There's no deep. I, I'm a big conspiracy guy. I love conspiracy theories, but there's no conspiracy theory in the committee room on this stuff. They're they're not all in the room going, oh well, we're gonna pick this team over that team because we like the coach or. Like but it's, it's, I, I've brought this up before yeah, on this not, show. It's not happening. Do you? What happens if, in a case where Notre Dame is undefeated and the whole world knows they're not one of the four best teams, and Notre Dame would still make the playoff because of Notre Dame? I mean, I would argue that happened last year. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think Notre Dame was one of the four best teams in college football, but you could make the case that they were because and, they hadn't and, lost a game. And 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 that I what I hope, and I think what we've done is we've evolved as a college football world past the fact that the zero is better than the one. That's why Baylor and Minnesota are not in the top ten right now, mm -hmm. behind teams with a loss, because the zero is not automatically better than the one. And so, I listen, I think Georgia was a better team than Notre Dame last year. I think Oklahoma was a better team than Notre Dame last year. They put Notre Dame in. I mean, were they deserving? Probably. Did they belong in there? Should they have been left out? You know, I would say yes, but it's hard to argue against that. I don't think the committee did it on purpose because Notre Dame's a big brand. I think... Mm -hmm. I think they looked at Notre Dame and thought they were one of the four best teams and put them in. I don't think there's this clandestine conspiracy theory where they're trying to screw people out of playoff spots. I think they just do what they think, and sometimes you can disagree with that. Sometimes you can agree with it. Hal Gill coming up next here on Morning Drive. It is Morning Drive live here on a Thursday edition of the show. <laughs> little tennis for you. Oh, my God, Jamie Fox. JB Fox, big finish at 945. Let is, me be your tennis ball. We welcome in a, a budding star in the world of tennis. He plays doubles with his buddy Chris Mason. He's Hal Gill. <laughs> He's brought to you by Puckets. What's going on, Skillsy? <laughs> you guys are great. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I got my butt, my butt whooped all over the court by Mace the other day. I'm not too happy about it. So budding star, maybe not, but... Uh, the effort was there. Are we going to get back in the gym and do some training and then work on, on the backhand a little bit, or, or is this? Are you, are you just not, giving up? Let's not get crazy. Uh, I'll I'll play more tennis and try to get better, but uh, you know I'm not I'm not going to go train for anything. I did enough of that. <laughs> um, uh, so I had a chance to talk to to Mike Fisher last night on Smashville Live, and uh, he had some really interesting thoughts on leadership. And I wanted to get your opinion, Hal, 
on on sort of just what makes great leaders. We're having this big conversation about Taylor Lewan right now, of course, in this market. Uh, Roman Yossi is, is an exceptional captain, but he sort of leads quietly. Um, you know, Mike Fisher said a lot of things about why Peter Laviolette's a great storyteller, and that's what makes him a great leader. Sort of, what does great leadership look like to you as it pertains to maybe a hockey locker room? Uh, it's funny because people always ask me what's a, a great, what makes a great leader, and I, I, I feel like if you're not, it's different for everyone. If you try to be something you're not, if you try to be the vocal leader when you're quiet. Uh, it doesn't come out right, and everyone knows it. It's you can't fake it. Uh, you know, Mike Fisher is a leader that was kind of quiet, but he's he's a man out there. You know, like he's a man everywhere he goes. His presence, he does the right things. He's uh, he'll he'll fight. He'll get the big hit. He'll he'll go in, into the dirty areas, um, and he leads by example that way. Uh, and then off the ice, he leads by by doing all the right things, eating right, taking care of his body. He's a He's hunting and fishing and active, uh, you know, and you look through, you know, Laviolette tells a great story. I don't think um, if, you, if you decide you're going to lead by intimidation, uh, I've had coaches who've done that and they try to be intimidating and they're just not, and it doesn't come across right. You got to be yourself. And I think that's sometimes the hardest thing to do for some people. Hal, we talked about the game uh, a little bit earlier in the show. The Avalanche have lost five games in a row. Is that just the ebbs and flows of the season, or, or does this team have some legit issues right now? Because many people thought this would be the team to win the Central in 2020. Yeah, well, you you take out Landeskog and Ranson and two, two of the top line forwards, and it's tough. They still have McKinnon. Uh, I think from just going over and watching their past games, you're having some growing problems with growing pains with young defensemen. Um, Sam Gerrard is still a young kid. Uh, you know, he's going to make plays, but he's also going to make mistakes. Uh, Kale McCarr is their highlight real defenseman um, that just came in last year and was awesome in the playoffs. Well, he's going to go through some things similar to what we're seeing. We see from Dante Fabro, who I think has been really awesome considering he's a young defenseman, uh, you know, it, you're going to go through those growing pains. So I, I don't count this team out yet, and I think this is going to be a good test. But uh, they, they're going through their growing pains. I think everyone is. It, it feels like everyone in the league is kind of has their injuries, and they're kind of going through a lot. Now, Hal, we um, had a segment earlier uh, on the show that Nick brought up, and, and, and it was basically real or fake. Uh, we had Kurt, uh, Kyle Torres, Mikhail Granlin, uh, Pecorine. I think there was one other guy in there. And um, the way each individual is playing, and do you buy it or do you think it will return to to true form? <laughs> um, one guy, obviously, um, Pecorine, um, the way he's playing, and I know history says he's going to continue to play this way, but the way he's playing, and he's playing at a Vesna pace right now, he's unbelievable. Do you think that play continues um, as the season goes? Well, you know what, and this is hard for for people to to understand because I, I look at um, I look at Peck because he's just doing what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's having a ton of success, but I, you know, you can you can say, oh, he got lucky a couple posts here and there. Larkin hit one off the post. You know, you you can you can go through a bunch of scenarios. Um, but in the end, he, he's not really doing anything different than he always does. 
he's seeing the puck well. He's playing well. So why shouldn't – what should be anything that changes? I, I don't see anything changes. Someone asked me about Nick Benino the other day. Um, he's doing all the right things, going all the right areas. Why should it change? It's not like, uh, you know, when someone's playing well, um, you know, there's no reason why it should drop off. But it's a long season. It's hard to continue. And, you know, usually statistics come around and and level everything out. But uh, I don't see a reason why anything should change as of now. Skillsy, I want to get your perspective on this because you're very qualified to talk about this. Where early in the show we were discussing how some people in Canada and some of the original six cities and you know the Northeast, where hockey has been a thing for 40, 50, 60 years, are looking down on the Winter Classic this year because it's in the Cotton Bowl and it's Dallas against Nashville. You played in Boston, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. You played for two cities in Canada, so you can certainly talk to this. What what is is there a difference the way people view hockey in the quote traditional hockey markets as opposed to the non-traditional hockey markets like nashville or vegas that have certainly blossomed over the years yeah well there's a there's a chip on the shoulder for the original six um and having played for a few teams in the original six i can tell you it's it's very real and they're the they're the real teams and everyone else is just fake um but I, this always makes me laugh because, you know, everyone's like, a winter classic should be between original six teams and the older teams. And I don't remember watching those guys play outside. Uh, did, did they ever play outside? <laughs> Was the NHL ever outside? So, uh, you know, it's everyone has this nostalgic with the, the outside outdoor games. Um, but it, it is what it is. It's like a cool thing that the NHL can do. And it should be for everyone in the NHL. I don't. I don't understand. Um, you know that I, I get that they want to. They want to be revered as the best teams because they're original six and they're Canadian teams and everyone loves them. But uh, you know how cool is it to have an outdoor game in Dallas and the ability to do that and the ability to kind of celebrate the NHL? I think that's way more important than anyone being uh, stuck up about how old their team is. Well, and, and and the Dixie Flyers are a part of hockey history in the South. Like that, that's just you know, like uh, sort of hearkening back to those stories that aren't normally told is a good thing. It, it's okay to celebrate the lesser stories or the smaller stories, the history of hockey in Dallas or or Nashville. Absolutely, that's the whole fun of it. Is and it's kind of fun being around the alumni. Uh, not too long ago, we were sitting down at a round table talking to alumni players for the Preds and it was a long time ago and, and this game has come a long way and it should be celebrated in Nashville the same way in Dallas. Dallas has come a long way. Now we're starting to see, you know, prospects coming out of the Dallas area because of that. So, uh, you know, it's kind of cool that you have Dallas and Nashville. So I'm all for it. Skillsy, good stuff as always. We appreciate the time and uh, let us know if that tennis game improves. Yeah, we got pickleball yesterday. And, Uh-oh. And, uh, yeah, I will tell you, we even recruited Lindsey Rowley and Kara Hammer in there. So There you go. It's it's getting legit. We're getting legit <laughs> on the road. Thank you, Hal. Thank you, guys. Hal Gill, Preds Radio Analyst, brought to you by Puckets. I, I'm, I'm interested in what you guys think, and we don't really have a lot of time today. Maybe we can get into it tomorrow as we get look ahead for the Titans-Chiefs. But I'm curious, all the conversations we've had today about leadership – and being who you are, I think that's a great point by Hal, is to be authentic, right? Like, if you're going to try to intimidate, and I don't know, Derek, you probably had coaches that were, 
you could sort of see through them, right? Like you could tell when they weren't mm-hmm. being themselves in that moment. I wonder how we can push that onto Taylor Lewan. Like I think he is himself. I think he is pretty naturally himself. And when he when he talks, I think it's pretty natural. Is he being himself, or is he being forced into a role that maybe he doesn't want to or need to play? I, I don't know if we can. I don't know if there's a larger conversation there or not. I don't know how you guys see it. Uh, I was just really focused on Howell's tennis game, to be honest. Because yeah. I mean, it sounds like the important things you were focused. on. Yeah, I mean, so. let's face it. In hockey, you want to get pucks on net. In tennis, you don't want to get balls on net because yeah. if you get balls on net, then you're down forty to love, and next thing you know, it's match point. Yeah, pretty much so. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. I want to exactly. be your tennis ball. Smack me up against the wall. You know how his feet have got to be barking today. <laughs> feet have got to be burning when you play tennis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Me I personally, too. I like playing on clay back in me the day. Too. I was never a grass guy. Oh, yeah, you could do the slide. Yeah. little backhand slide. It was like Michael Chang, except I had baggier shorts. I was playing on crayon. You were doing what? <laughs> he said he liked to play on clay. Yeah. I play on crayon. On what? Crayon. I don't get it. Crayons? Crayon. Yeah, like like Crayola? Yeah, Crayola. I, don't, I still don't get it. Clay, Crayola. Yeah, this is crayons. the guy who listens to the Young Fables. What is he so, talking about? You know, how, how did you get from clay to crayons? I mean, it, you play with clay in school. <laughs> you play with crayons in sure. school. Sure. I, I mean, that's true. Color with crayons in school. That, so that like is, to, that's a true I like statement. To play with, yeah. I play on crayons. You do you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. D-Mace will be heading into the tent momentarily. The big finish is coming up next. It is time for the big finish. We do it each and every day at 945 here on Morning Drive and is brought to you by Nashville Soccer Club. Get your MLS tickets for the inaugural season today. Go to NashvilleSC.com. That's NashvilleSC.com. Excuse me. You good? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. I'm just, I'm flustered by our in-studio heckler. Yeah. I hate when fans stop by. I know. Just fanboys yeah, showing up. There's paparazzi. They, they wish they could work on this show, show but yeah, they can't anymore. Some of them used to, and then said, yeah. "You know, I'm too he good come for back you." Taking pictures of us, yeah, just you know, peeking around. A Guys corner. coming in here looking like a big poncho. <laughs> Bring your own constable. Byoc. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome into Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Nick Braden, D-Maze, Marquise with you here on this Thursday edition of the show. But I'll be damned if I didn't feel old last night. Uh Jerry Stackhouse snaps a 20-game losing streak for Vanderbilt, wins his debut. Opponent irrelevant, Southeast Missouri State. (laughs) But I'm like, wait a minute. I remember like when I was 12 years old watching Jerry Stackhouse play for Dean Smith, and now he's coaching, and he's coaching Scottie Pippen's kid. I'm like, where did my childhood go? Life is over. (laughs) (laughs) Up in smoke like the rest of ours. I tried to get Mike Fisher to hook up Chase McCabe with Taylor Swift. Like, we tried. Fish was like, at first, Fish was like, yeah, we know, Taylor, we can hook you up. And Constable comes over to the TV, or comes over to the set and puts on the headset, and he's like, uh, really? <laughs> can, can, you get, can you get me hooked up with T-Swizzle? And I asked, I said, Mike, can you give Constable at least some advice on how to talk to a celebrity? Because it worked for you. You talked to Carrie Underwood into having your children. Yeah, but the so. difference is Mike Fisher looks like this. And happened to be a famous athlete. And Chase looks like this. No, don't make it about looks, man. Don't make it about looks. Not all about looks sometimes. I'm not going to rip Chase. I'm just saying Chase is not sexy. <laughs> man, y'all damn lying. It is all about looks, man. 
when Mike Fisher walked up to Carrie Underwood, his long lock. she said, he's a handsome guy. Of course. And had he looked like the bottom of her boot, she'd have been like, I gotta get to know you more. Are you saying I gotta talk to you some more? Let's 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 just keep talking, you know. But because he's a handsome guy, very attractive. That kind of opened it up. It's like okay, then she started talking. It's like ah, oh, this guy's interesting. So are, you you, know? are you suggesting that Chase McCabe looks like the bottom of Carrie Underwood's boot? I'm not saying Chase looks like the bottom of her. Maybe the shoestrings. The following is a presentation of ESPN 102.5 The Game in collaboration with Morning Drive and cannot be replicated, duplicated, or reproduced without the express written consent of Derek Mason. Who, by, who by the way, Derek Mason. Who, by the way, is a modern American hero. Just want to throw that out there. Yes. Derek Mason, the, my hero. That's why I'm going to live till I'm 108. Because yeah. you know they said that's good for you. Yeah. Your immune system is going to be in fantastic shape. Yeah, that's, that's, they say it's good for you. I know. Seriously. I, I, what, do, living till 108? Yes. No, no, yeah. But the things, that, there, people, things that people do. Well, I mean, it's a grown folk station. Um, <laughs> no, but they, they said, you know, when you, when you, you know, it's, if you have your wife and you and your wife have fun a lot, then that, that's better for your health. Reduces stress. Yeah, reduces enhances stress. Enhances immune exactly. function. Yeah. You can you can use that, Nick. So yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things I could use. I could use a better immune, fun- immune function myself. So let's break. So let's uh, let's make sure we're breaking down the right type of tape here. We welcome in our buddy Joe Rexroad from the Athletic. I do think that you know Malcolm Turner. Obviously, it's more of a comfort zone for him. Basketball. He was in the G League. He knew Stackhouse well. You know, I, I think it's just natural that if you're you know around a sport all the time as he was in the G League, probably more comfortable you know assessing it. And some of the aspects of this job as AD are completely brand new to him. That's a long way of saying I still have my doubts that he's going to fire Derek Mason after this season. Now I. I also think it's an open book right now. We have to see how Vanderbilt finishes. But I think anyone who would think that it's a done deal right now, I think that'd be a mistake to assume. Real or not real? The power play. Um, I hope it's real. Of course it's real. I, 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 I will be so. This is the, the least. Of, this is the least objective we will ever be on a topic ever. We. I am blatantly, openly rooting for the Nashville Predators to be in the top five. In the oh, top I five. am too. And Lord. Please, Lord, if you hadn't heard one of my prayers, Please, little baby I Jesus. pray that you hear this prayer today, Lord, that they finish five or better in the NHL at the end of the season. Please, Lord. You love this station. I know you do. As we go live to, yes. <laughs> as we go live to Lone Wolf Tattoo exactly. on Periscope, and Nick Hill is screaming as Dan Lambert's entire body is He tattooed. gets the lamp stamp. Nate Taylor covers the Chiefs for the Athletic. This was the year where everyone sort of said, okay, you know, we are truly Super Bowl contenders. You can say it. And it really means something. Uh, and, you know, much of this offseason was about can Andy Reid get the right people in place. When you have a quarterback that's better than half the league when he even he's injured, it gives you confidence that this team, if they could just make the necessary steps, be a team to really go after the New England Patriots. We welcome in author Andrew Marinus to the program, author of Games of Deception. One of the points I make in the book is that this idea of people saying sports and politics should be kept separate, well, they really never have been separate, you know, and there's no greater example of that than the Olympics, which are incredibly political and always have been. And so during these 1936 Olympics, the the Nazis used the fact that they were hosting the world for this sporting event as an incredible propaganda opportunity, and they tried to fool people into believing that everything 
everything was just fine, uh, even from the U.S. perspective. No African-American players were allowed to try out for the Olympic basketball team. We think of those Olympics as a chance for Jesse Owens to shine in front of Hitler. But even our own basketball team, you know, was a product of American racism. So, yeah, that's a big part of this book, just like it was with Strong Inside. I saw the Young Fables the other day. Is it the Young Fables? Is that what they're called? We have, I have no idea what you're talking what about. You the talking Fables? About? We, we have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, the group, the two people, right, the what, girl and a guy. But what, what does that have to do with he just Who said are that, they? He just said the, the group that you get to see. What, but but who are the Young Fables? Enlighten us. Skinner. Skinner. Leonard Skinner. Leonard Skinner. The Fables. Uh, I think it's the Young uh, They call it the Young Fables. Sounds like fables. an Alt Nation rock band. Coming up on Alt Nation, we'll get you the Young Fables. But first, Imagine Dragons. <laughs> Oh, how do we get on music? Because you're weird, and we're all weird, and the show's weird. And how the hell do. do we do this show? Time is not on our side. No, it's not. Seems it, like yesterday you were just in the Liberty Bowl. Seems like yesterday <laughs> when all my pain is gone away. Is that how the song goes? I think so. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. That is the Morning Drive Daily Rewind. The pain I, is gone now. I'm I want to say we the joke, show's over. We joked about Young Fables. By the way, pride of Knoxville, Tennessee. Absolutely. Um, in like the same, like just right up against the conversation about Nazi Germany. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do, man. Like, that's what we, we, do. We, we cover it all. Like we basically cover all the bases here. Nobody, nobody does it like us. A hundred percent accurate. Absolutely. <laughs> nobody said it was good, but nobody does it like us. And we even forgot to get to a story about Ti. Yeah, we didn't forget to get to that story. No, we didn't. We're I didn't forget. I have, <laughs> we're gonna get, no, we need to get to that story have, no, tomorrow. I have, I have no desire to tell people how to parent. No, that's a that, losing no, debate. It's not, no, it's not. It's a tell, losing debate. It's not telling somebody how to parent. It's just weird. No, it's very I'm not strange. telling them how to parent. It's, it's just weird, weird man. Yeah. I think controlling 18 year olds' behaviors never worked weird, for thousands yeah. of years. No, exactly. Never worked. Tomorrow, I'll stick to sports. I'll be in the I'll be in the bathroom when you guys do that. Can I join you? Yeah, you're more than welcome to. Just separate stalls. Oh, wow, 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 Wait, but it is a single bathroom, though, so I can't do that then. Yeah, no, you can't. He's the women's bathroom. Yeah, that's it. We're done. Stay tuned. Darren, Donick, Chase coming up next. We will have full reaction tomorrow morning on a football Friday. Also, Preds in the Avalanche Thursday night football. Vols, Kentucky, Bama, LSU. Have a great rest of your Thursday. Stay dry. And as one man once famously said, take care. Bailey DJ Nashville. I love you.